Welcome to the Russin Box, where dancers go for show prep and candy chat. I'm Claire Kretschmar. And I'm Aron Sands. And we're dancers with New York City Ballet. Welcome back to the Rosin Box. It's a pleasure to be back doing this podcast. And we are so excited to share some stories from tour when we go abroad or when we go to other places in the country to do performances. And we thought it'd be a fun subject to talk about this episode because we cannot travel right now. (laughs) We are stuck in our homes and I'm sure we all need a little escape. So this episode hopefully can offer you an escape and some interesting stories from our travels. Yes. So currently we're actually not in the same room as we usually are. Bummer. (laughs) We are located um, in different states at the moment. Claire Kretschmer is in her home in North Carolina and I'm in my apartment in New York City. But this is keeping us all together. We're united in the podcast. Yes, at last. I feel like, at least for me, I don't know about you, Aron, but some of my strongest memories of performing are from when we're on tour, performing, mm-hmm. especially abroad, because that experience is so new and exciting that mm-hmm. I feel like whenever we're performing in places in Europe or in Asia, the memories that I have there are very vivid. Oh, 100%. Because you're in a new place, so everything is new, everything is fresh, and everything is like creating a memory. So I, I, I as well have really vivid memories of what's like performing in other places. Also because everything about it is different, including the audience. Like I even remember audiences' reactions in different places around the world. Paris had a very warm welcoming and they were a very generous audience. We got a lot of curtain calls there, right? Yes. yes and like every one. time the curtain, the curtain would go down and come back up. Right like up. Multiple times. That doesn't happen in New York City. Like when we were in Paris, it just kept going down and up. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this, how in, when we did Symphony in C together, they would... Mm-hmm. In Paris, they would clap like on a beat. In unison. Like this. And so Arana and I, since we partnered together in the finale of Symphony in C as the first movement demi part, we would walk on the beat to the club. <laughs> and it was just so funny. We would walk forward and walk back and, and bow. And, and both of our families were there too. So Yes. That That's was another fun. perk of traveling on tour. That families get to travel with us a lot of times. And see us perform somewhere else. And, and since my family live in yeah. Spain, then whenever we go to Europe, it's just a lot closer to them. Yeah. So maybe we should explain what tour and going on tour is. Yeah. So when we go on tour, we often perform. I mean, it depends. I think when we go to places overseas, we usually don't go for a very long period of time, mm-hmm. at least in recent years. But we take about 10 ballets on average and yeah we usually go as a full company which is about like 90 to 100 dancers plus the administrative staff plus the a few stage stage hands Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we have our like our director of production comes marguerite mailer so it's a really it's a big undertaking and new york city ballet is a home-based company 
Uh, we right. perform for most of the year in New York City, whereas other companies, they might tour throughout most of the year. Yeah. Um, we have a yeah, residency in New York, but every year we go to Saratoga Springs and Washington, D.C. And we corresponded with Marguerite Mailer a little bit before this podcast, and she shared so many crazy insights about what the production team has to think about before right. traveling. They have to think about how to ship sets, costumes. Basically how- everything that involves whatever production we're putting on has to be thought like far in advance, sometimes even 18 months. If, it, if it's an international tour, it's yeah, a big have- puzzle. They also have to think about like what the theater and the crew is like wherever we're going. Capabilities of the theater where we're going. Yeah, because whenever we go on tour, it requires big adjustments for everyone. Like we have to deal with jet lag and new stages. How do you deal with it, Aron, performing in a new place? Usually, like, we know they have told us the dimensions of the stage, but, like, it's hard to know once you get there how big really is, how the wings are. For example, in Denmark, in Tivoli, the first wings of the, the stage are, like, big, and then they have, like, two or three kind of in the middle that are very thin, very narrow. That always, like, takes a little bit of adjustment and readjust, perhaps, choreographically how you move in and out of the stage and perhaps in smaller stages when we have a big production like symphony and c that requires a lot of dancers at once on stage during the finale there have been times where we had to cut two couples or a few girls in the court in order to fit and be able to move because you know that's very much well new york city Bell is known for is be able to move and if there's no space for it then I guess we I guess we cut people. You gotta make the space. If there's no space, you yeah. gotta make it. And um I remember when we were in Copenhagen and I was doing that same part, the first movement, uh Demi mm-hmm. Soloist part in Symphony and C. Usually when we do it in New York City, I in the finale, I end up behind other dancers in a line on the side to do a series of tondus and poses. But then in Copenhagen, all of a sudden, because dancers were cut, I was in the front. So it was was a big responsibility. I couldn't like rely on the people in front of me and just kind of go willy nil. I mean, of course, I try to stay focused all the time. But um, I couldn't rely on other people to do the steps. And I had to I had to be the leader in a way. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a bit of a uh, moment. Also, (laughs) the responsibility of like marking the line exactly where it's going to stand because everyone else has to get behind you. So you're like, I hope I'm on the right dots. Totally. And like, I'm pretty positive. It has usually been Kristen Sagan in front of me, who is extremely reliable. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's a mathematician. Mathematician with spacing, with technique. So I felt like a big responsibility to do all the things correctly as she did. But yeah, anyway, we make make a lot of adjustments. I was thinking in relation to Marguerite's Mm -hmm. comments about how things are shipped. And I had this funny thought that like, you know, at some point 
three to four weeks before we do something like Symphony in C in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. our Symphony in C tutus are floating in the water in a sea container mm-hmm. on a cargo boat. <laughs> yeah. Like how weird Sometimes is that? those swan lake costumes really cross the water <laughs> way before you do. Those swan lake costumes, they get into character. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think... Going on tour is very memorable because we take up with us responsibility to bring Balanchine and our company and the legacy and any work representing any choreographer that's been done on us. We expose it to people that perhaps are not capable of seeing our work so often. So I feel like you pay even more attention to what you're presenting and it's the duty of the dancers to try to represent the family very well. Yeah. Not that we're not doing that in New York, but, you know, we have our New York audience. And when you are bringing it to a complete new audience, you got to, like, put your big boy pants on and, like, really show them what we're all about. And sometimes just doing the ballet you just did in the city, it's very familiar. There's nothing new going on, but there's a new atmosphere around a new energy because you're presenting it for the first time and there's something very beautiful about knowing that whoever's out there and a lot of people who are out there are going to be seeing this for the first time yeah I agree with all of that 100 percent it's it's an extremely special experience to share what we have to audiences who may have never seen Balanchine mm-hmm. or like Rep Mansky's works or Justin Peck's works. It's a really special experience. So Claire, do you remember some of the ballads we have done together while on tour? Because some okay. of my most fond memories of us dancing together have been on tour. Yeah, I let me see. We have Symphony and C, first movement, demi soloist. And in that one, it was so hard. I have this moment where I have to do a series of arabesque releves, which is where I'm on one leg moving backwards. And like some stages were smaller and others were bigger, but I didn't love the bigger stages because that meant a lot of extra work. You had to travel more. Imagine if it's hard enough traveling on point forward. Imagine traveling backwards. Like you don't even know you don't even know where you're going and yet they're like travel more go more <laughs> and like you're supposed to cross with another oh, person yeah. and make sure you don't hit the principal man yeah um, it's like you have you have to be like one of those like new self-driven cars that are like 360 view 3d or like you should have like some sort of like beeping system if you're getting too close to someone yeah, if only I had, like, that camera in front of me so I can see behind me to back yeah. up. We also did pictures at an exhibition, classic. And one of our, I think, our biggest ones was doing Stravinsky Violin Concerto, the first pas de deux, uh, together in Shanghai. And it was our first time. It was our first time. During one of the matinees, we heard a rumor that there were not that many people in the audience and indeed, that sounded to be true because after we finished our first potada, and it does end in like an atypical, unhuzzah kind of way, but people did not clap for maybe a solid three to four seconds after we finished. They sure clapped when we were off. 
I was like, no, take it. <laughs> yeah, I think, anyway, those are very memorable for another reason. But yeah, I think those are our, our biggest things that we've done together. Yeah. Some of our biggest hits. Claire on Iran's biggest hits. <laughs> So each dancer has a theater case, which is a rectangular shaped trunk uh, with like three latches on it. And it's a pretty sturdy piece that we have that we put point shoes in, makeup, maybe some leotards, tights, anything that we might need for a performance that um, the company ships wherever we go. And often we also have things like pictures and little memorabilia in them to remember different moments and experiences that we've had. And each dancer has a different way of organizing their theater case and of stacking things in it. So we're a company filled with very unique dancers. And also today we have with us two of them. We have Daniel Applebaum and Marika Anderson. So we're going to welcome them to the Rosin Box. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Great welcome. being here. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, who you are, and how long have you been with the company? I'm Daniel Applebaum. I'm a soloist with New York City Ballet, and I got into the company as an apprentice in 2004. And I am Marika Anderson. I had got my apprenticeship in 2004 as well and got into the company in 2005. So we've both been dancing for the company for 16 years. <laughs> and you're both currently in New York City. Yes, yeah, we're we, in Brooklyn. We share an apartment together and we're, we've been here the whole time. So you've been having each other to quarantine with. Exactly. We both are so fortunate because we are, you know, we're best friends. Yeah. We have grown up together and to be together during this time. I'm so happy that we have each other. Oh, yeah. We've known each other since 2001. Um, we lived, actually, when we both had our apprenticeships, we lived together. We, we, were, we were roommates then with like Alani Brown. And so we definitely know how to kind of lean on each other, but also give each other space when we need it. And so it's a good dynamic. So you're like the perfect traveling couple. So, yeah, we, we've definitely, you know, we've traveled a lot together. Um, oddly enough, when we're on tour, I think we tend to room with other people just to get a little bit of a variety. Yeah. Um, but we always, if we have a chance to deviate our travel plans, we yeah. always book a trip together. Yeah, it's always great. And I mean, on tour too, if we can finagle getting a single room, we usually try to do that as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, when we go on tour, most of the core dancers have to have a roommate. Um, when you're a soloist, you can have your own room. And principal dancers can also have your own room, too. But uh, when, I'm curious, when and what was your first tour? And what did you guys dance? The first one, I think we, we just remembered it yeah. was a uh, tour to Chicago. I think we both had just gotten to the core. And I was really lucky because I just went to do blueberries in Serenade, which were the four core guys. And I just had Serenade. Yeah, so, that's what I, I, there might have been something else, but I remember specifically Serenade because our dressing rooms were upstairs. We had to take an elevator to get there in like a, a long hallway walk. And mm -hmm. I remember walking down this like really slippery hallway getting to the stage with my Serenade costume on, trying not to scuff up my point shoes on the um, marble floor. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> okay, so when you guys go on tour, 
what is your travel prep like? Like, how do you pack? What do you think about? What are your major concerns? Or are you like not concerned at all? I tend to be, I, I try my hardest to be a light packer, but I would, <laughs> I'd be lying to myself. If that's what <laughs> I, have a, I have a recollection and, and I know Ron will remember this. We were coming back from France. So we were there for three weeks. So I think I had like two suitcases with me. I made sure that I had enough space left for, you know, things to buy. But like, I, I've always been one to like somehow get a lot of things on board with me that should actually not be on board. The audacity. <laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely have more than two personal items when I am well, traveling like, I remember in Japan, oh, Monica I, I, loves I, umbrellas. <laughs> so she somehow like strapped like 15 umbrellas. It was like seven or eight umbrellas. It was I seven got or eight umbrellas. And she like strapped them essentially to her body and like walked on the plane. <laughs> Only Marka. And it is very exactly. entertaining, I think, for the company at large because we all get to witness Marka going on the plane. <laughs> so, long story short, I, I'm not a light packer. <laughs> I, Although you try to be. I try yeah. to be. I mean, and that's also the great thing about when we travel abroad, we can really make use of um, using our theater case by putting extra things in there on the way there or on the way back. And I have to say that, like, when people came back from France, like, the amount of wine in theater cases. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, a whole vineyard. Yeah. Back with us. No, which, which made it hard when we went to Shanghai because they were such sticklers about, um, like, you know, prohibiting items in our theater case. Like, even um, face mm -hmm. wash or shampoo. We couldn't... We or couldn't makeup. I or feel makeup. like no makeup yeah. traveled in the theater cases. Disposable yeah. Like... So that, that was a real challenge for sure. A lot of times, right after we go on an international tour, we have a little bit of a layoff after or before. So dancers tend to do a little plan to go visit either some other city or some other country nearby, or perhaps just to stay in the country we're visiting and just try to explore even more. And it's really wonderful because like traveling is really expensive. And so mm -hmm. it gives us the opportunity to actually travel and See vacation as opposed to just finding those brief moments <laughs> on tour to see whatever you yeah. want to see because there's some tours where you're not busy at all and it kind of does feel like a working vacation and there's some tours where it's almost harder than like an entire spring season yeah like shanghai is yeah. what is your routine when you travel what do you do to deal with jet lag and what's kind of like your flying prep i'm super into like anything like natural that you can do to help yourself, even though it, it might not actually work. So there's like pine bark, it's called pycnogonol that I take, and apparently it helps reduce the effects of jet, uh, jet lag. So I start taking those, I think like two or three days before, and then two or three days after we land and just continue. And then I actually find that it really helps. I don't, it's probably like a huge placebo effect, but that yeah. works. <laughs> Did you get that a goop? I wish. <laughs> if there is goop branded pycnogonol, I'm definitely going to get that. <laughs> no, I got to have whole foods. Uh, I love when, we're, um, I, when we all go on tour together and we're like you know, all sitting by the gate. You can tell it's a huge dancer group because most of us are decompressing. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting, we're like putting like little blankets down on the floor, laying on the floor, taking a seat and putting our legs up on the seat so our legs are at 90 degree angles. And 
everyone's just decompressing. It's so it's such a funny sight to see. Or like before a flight, like a bunch of us will like be doing yoga stretches to get a last minute little workout in. <laughs> yeah, we we don't care too much about disguising our <laughs> our dance troopness. <laughs> but yeah, give us some highlights of performing somewhere else in the world. You know, this is not an international tour, but we always go on tour upstate to Saratoga Springs every summer. And this is, you know, the first year that we won't be doing that, which is very sad. But, you know, these are the times that we're living in. So we were doing Brahms Schoenberg, and it was one of the last shows up there. And thunderstorms are very prevalent during that time um, in July when we're up there. And James Fayette was retiring, and Jenny Ringer was his you know his his partner and it was so touching to see there was a huge huge thunderstorm and i think the, they went into generator mode and the rains were coming up into the onto the stage the winds were blowing thunder was striking and the thunder struck on every exit and entrance of james's it was so magical oh and the lights went off at one point yeah too. But it was a magic <gasps> so like you could still see everything of course it was so cool wow yeah, there's something really beautiful about performing on that stage. And then because the uh, the audience is covered, but you, they don't have like a wall around them, you can see the trees and just the... I love the summer there. Yeah, it's so magical. Yeah. Let's dive into the food journey that comes oh. with when you guys travel. I love a food journey. We that's love, like we, my favorite thing to do. That's part of traveling. I think we, we go to places with food in mind, of discovering different cuisines. We're both huge fans of Anthony Bourdain, so I've always looked to you know his shows and his books for guidance on like when, when we travel. Also, New York Times, you know, anything that they recommend. And we both are kind of, in terms of food, really willing to try anything. And go, we go to a lot of lengths to get good meals. There's one place that Monica discovered from an Anthony Bourdain article or something that was, it was basically open when it wanted to be open. It was in Shanghai. And it was, I guess, in someone's house. And you just kind of had to luck out to go. Yeah. So we went with Andrew Scordato down this, like... It was a post-show situation, so it was late. We had trouble getting a cab out there. We were hungry. We went down this alleyway and it kind of looked like the photo that Anthony Bourdain had on his website. And it's dark. There's nothing down there. And I'm you surprised. don't know if it's open <laughs> really. Down there, but it was not it was not what we were we no. were looking for. So like we were kind of like, well, we need to eat, we're just gonna figure it out. And luckily there's like lots of food stalls everywhere. And we went to, we saw this one, there was a line around the street and we we're like, oh. This looks good. And we got we lucked out the man behind us, started talking to us, and he spoke English and he kind of helped us order because the menu was completely in Chinese. And mm-hmm. so it was these pulled noodles, hand-pulled noodles with uh, this beef broth and like chopped beef and a bunch of herbs. And mm-hmm. it was just so complex and aromatic oh. and delicious. And um, it was so good we went back twice. Yeah. And also <gasps> when we wow. did it, we did the math afterwards, and it was like, it was like maybe $3, $3 total total for total. the three of us. Yeah, for the three of us. It was insane. So the place that we originally wanted to go to was a long noodle shop, like pulled long noodles. And this was in a neighborhood that like, specializes in those things. So there are all these like little tiny like hole-in-the-wall places, like soup shops. 
So the place that we originally were looking for wasn't open. And we went again the following, like we, we went again to see if it was open like either the next day or the day after. And it wasn't, but we looked out and we found this little gem that was a wonderful experience. Because we don't have a lot of free time. So it's kind of the best way to actually get a little bit of a sense of the real culture of where you are. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's also why we strive to kind of eat at places that are a little bit more off the beaten path. Still like with a sense of, you know, a a knowledge of what you're looking for, but a willingness and an openness to explore and be open to um, new possibilities. I think that's the best way to travel. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yes. Aram, we, <laughs> we have a funny story from the Japan tour. <laughs> well, this was um, Claire's and I first time in Asia. And um, Claire was trying to be very respectful of the culture. So anytime she would order, she wouldn't say any words because she didn't want to offend, so she didn't speak English. But she also didn't spoke anything else. She just maintained <laughs> herself quiet. So anything she would order, she would just point at the menu and then hold one finger up in order to indicate that she was ordering one. And just mouth the word one with no sound. If she wanted two, then she would hold two fingers and mouth the word two with no sound again. <laughs> and like, it was it was a very interesting approach. But it made no sense. Yeah. So funny. Yeah, it uh, really made no sense. It's so hard, you know, the language is definitely um uh can be a barrier and a challenge when we're traveling. I think for me, whenever we go to different countries, I always try to just learn a couple of things like please and thank you. And mm-hmm. As, as long as I know how to say thank you, like, I feel like that is the number one for me. Yeah, it's funny. We, I feel like all the dancers were just constantly going around saying thank you in whatever language. <laughs> like, I, I love experimenting with foods when we're on tour, which can be, uh, you know, depending on if you have a show that day, it's maybe not such a good idea to experiment. Mm-hmm. Have you ever made a wrong choice before a show? Um, well, I think there were a hand, there was a handful of us on our last Japan tour, especially when we were in Osaka, we, uh, myself included, like a group of us were really into the Asian pears <laughs> and they were so good going down, but it was trouble coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Swan Lake was that night, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it just was not here you thought that you were eating something like that was going to be a good a good snack before the show and you know cold sweats and chills 30 minutes before the you know curtain and you're like oh my god i got where's the pepto-bismol like i have i'm going to be chugging this right now and you were not the you were not alone in this i was not alone this was about i feel like there was maybe like like i don't know at least like 10 of us yeah asian purse were famous that tour yeah. Well, they're so big. They're like the size of your head. I mean, they're delicious. That's perfect. They are delicious. <laughs> Something to do, I think, just with like the, what maybe there's like different bacteria um, in the, like, uh, you know, on fresh mm-hmm. produce that is just doesn't settle well with our stomach and yeah. our systems. Yeah. Good for a cleanse. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like, I, I've had I've had several shows where, you know, with stomach issues prior to the show and it's not like, it's not a place that you really want to be, but the show must go on and mm-hmm. your body knows how to make it work. Yeah. 
Adrenaline. There is something <laughs> a, a little scary is that when we're in tour, we are around each other even more than usual because we're sharing rooms and we're traveling together and also in groups to go eat. And, you know, I was trying to yeah. like have some company around when we're abroad, but that also has some downside of this that if someone gets sick is spreading something around as exactly. we have learned so much about social distancing yes. is that we will go around pretty fast and yeah. there have been tours like a, i can remember a tour to washington dc that it rapidly got people sick everyone always gets sick in dc it's the weirdest thing well i don't know if it's because it's usually right after nutcracker and winter season and we're all a little run down i do remember that dc people were people got really sick yeah Oh, there was one. Was that the one where you threw up? Yeah. You were my partner partners. in Diamonds. Is it Diamonds? Yeah. yeah. And then Cameron uh, went in for you at the last Yeah, night. I was, it was like literally minutes before, like costume was on stage level. And it was like minutes before we had to go on when everything really escalated <laughs> to a sick point. So. Oh, and then Anthony started Lysoling like every surface in the dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> But it was the last show, too. It's like you almost made it. I almost made it. And I thought I was in the clear. Like, I was like, yes, last show. I'm fine. Didn't have any symptoms. And then all of a sudden, I had all of the symptoms. (laughs) Oh, God. Let's see. Wait, let me. Okay, top place where you will go back. And then second, like, top place that you will go that you haven't been yet. Tokyo 100% would be my top choice for going back. Yeah, Japan. Japan, because then you're also so close to areas in Southeast Asia. Like, I would love to go back to, like, areas of Vietnam and, like, Thailand around there. But Japan was one of the most uh, amazing experiences for both of us. Yeah, and I have family there. It's nice that I get to see them when I travel. And it's just a a culture that I really... it resonates with me, obviously, I'm half Japanese. And uh, <laughs> it just feels like I'm kind of tapping into another part of myself that I don't always see here. And so I feel like mm-hmm. that's really special for me. Yeah, it was so fun to meet your cousin. Yeah. The one, the one area of the world I've never been to is South America. So I feel like that would be next on my list somewhere. Oh, yeah. Know. I'd love like an Argentina yeah. tour. Well, the company hasn't gone on tour to South America since we've been in, since you and I have yeah. been in the company. It's been a long time. I think they did maybe like back in the 90s. Well, hopefully when this situation resolves a little bit, we can start venturing out again. Traveling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us on The Rosin Box. Thank you for having us. Your stories are amazing. Yeah. Thank you for taking us other places through your stories. <laughs> <laughs> The safest travel, the safest way of travel is through, through some other people's memories. <laughs> we're going to answer some of the questions you were asking us on social media. And here we go, Claire. What is the schedule like during quarantine for our dancers? The schedule is flexible. And each dancer can decide what classes to take and what classes not to take. But we have offerings of a company class every day at 1030. We also have like throughout the week, we have things like yoga and a Pilates class offered either maybe once or twice a week. We have gyrotonics classes that are offered. 
we also have a consistent workout class led by one of our physical therapists at 12 o'clock on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And so these are just some of the things that are available to us. And we log in on Zoom. We get to see everyone. Most everyone uses their cameras so that we can feel like we're connected in a visible way when we take these classes. And everyone is just dancing wherever they can. Like I'm in my garage and holding on to a bar of a treadmill. <laughs> and it works okay. And fortunately, we have received pieces of Marley so that we can have a floor that's similar to the floor that we usually dance on. But I would say for the dancers who are taking advantage of these classes, it's usually wake up, breakfast, do some warm-up exercises, take class at 10.30, followed by maybe a workout at 12, and then whatever extracurriculars you might like to do in the afternoon. Um, I usually take some time to read, and then I go on a walk. I feel like everybody's probably a little different, but most of the people that I see on Zoom are together for the company class and then together for the workout. And then we go our separate ways. Oh, 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 the, <laughs> oh, the digital stream. And if it happens to be a Tuesday or a Friday, a lot of the company members tuned in to watch the ballet on the digital season that New York city ballet offered. Yeah, it felt, like a very communal event because I think a lot of, on Tuesdays and Fridays at eight, it seemed like a lot of the dancers actually watched right around eight o'clock or five o'clock if you're on the um, West coast. So that was kind of a fun experience to have together is sharing the watching of a ballet together. This is our schedule currently and hopefully in the future we can get back together sooner rather than later although we're just going to keep playing it by ear. We can't really, we can't do too much too soon, but hopefully sooner rather than later, we can be back in our theater um, giving people some performances. And thanks so much for tuning in to The Rosin Fox. It's been a great journey to talk about travel. And we hope you tune in next week. Adios. Au revoir. Arrivederci. Auf Wiedersehen. Sayonara. Bye. <laughs> and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to stay up to date on the latest episode releases. If you like this show, please leave us a review. We'll hear from you next time. Hold on. Can I just backtrack? I'm on a side note. Does anyone know that song? What song? It's like an NSYNC song. Digital, digital, get down. I was more digital, of a digital boys. curtain down. Just you and me. 20,000 miles away. I can see you. Baby, Nin, and you can see me. Something like that. Wow. If we had the money, we could use that for this digital season. <laughs>